I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Welcome to Go and Do. This week we don't have a guest, but we do have an awesome topic, and that's the chapters for Alma 8 through 12. We talk about Alma and Amulek and how the Lord guided them both to find each other to be able to teach the people of Ammonihah. We talk about how our efforts to share the gospel might require persistence and patience, that God judges his children according to the light and knowledge that they have, talk about the plan of redemption that God has for us, and that if we don't harden our hearts, we can receive more of the word of God. We'll come back at you next week with a new guest, but we hope you enjoy this episode. Today we got Alma and Amulek. I think these guys are a really good example that we find in the scriptures of two ways to get to almost the same goal. Because you have two very different people at the beginning, and they end up being exactly what the Lord needed and exactly in the right place. To me, it's clear that with this example that the Lord knows exactly what people need to hear and in the way they need to hear it. And it's interesting because this is 10 years, nine and 10 years, I think after the uh, beginning of the reign of the judges, which Alma was a judge for a while. We don't really know exactly how long, or at least I don't know exactly how long until he turned it over, but he probably did it for a few years. And, um, then he started teaching and had a lot of success until he gets to Ammonihah. And they're basically like, you know what? We don't want it. They kick him out. They reject him. They tell him to get lost. And he kind of gets discouraged. And this is the other thing. The other thing that I think about is that there's a lot of times when we picture the prophet as being, you know, this untouchably perfect person or that he has, like, uh, because he has light knowledge that maybe other people don't, that he won't make mistakes or that he's infallible, or even if he does make mistakes, that he has a greater understanding of the gospel, and so he'll always come out right. And in this situation, Alma kind of gets discouraged to the point where he doesn't want to continue. He kind of just says, I'm going to move on from this. And the Lord kind of rebukes him, tells him, hey, get back over there and teach these people and then gives them the tools to do it, right? If you're willing to go back and try again, 
I will provide you the tools to be successful. Yeah, I like how the beginning of the lesson, it says God's work will not fail, but our efforts to help his work sometimes seem to fail. At least we may not immediately see the outcomes we hope for. You know, in chapter 8, verse 11, you hear, you know, the people were hard of heart saying, Behold, we know thou art Alma. We know that thou art a high priest over the church. And then it says, but we are not of thy church, and we do not believe such foolish traditions. And now we know that because thou are not, we are not of thy church, we know that has no power over us. And thou hast delivered the judgment seat. So they were very much focused on, you don't have no right to tell us what to do. Either religiously, well, we don't believe what you, we're not part of your religion. And uh, politically, you're not the chief judge anymore. So, na, 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 you know. And then, um, and then in verse 14, and it came to pass while he was journeying, being weighed down with much sorrow, wading through much tribulation and anguish of soul because of the wickedness of the people who were in the city of Abinah. It came to pass that Amma was thus weighed down. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him. And he said, Blessed art thou, Alma. Therefore, lift up your head and rejoice. For thou hast great cause to rejoice, for thou hast been faithful in keeping the commandments of God from the time which thou receivest thy first message from him. Behold, I am he that delivered it unto you. It's interesting because he says, you have great reason. You're, I know you're feeling sad. You're weighed down with sorrow. You're very discouraged. But you have great reason to rejoice because you have kept the commandments. And I think that's an important distinction to make that Keeping the commandments and the outcome we expect, the success criteria, whatever, yeah. aren't always aligned, you know. Sometimes it, it it's almost like in the mission, if you were a you are a successful missionary when you tried your hardest, kept the rules and went out and worked every day. You're not a it it doesn't imply that being a successful missionary is just you got twenty baptisms every other week. You know, <laughs> yeah. but we think that way. We tend to measure things that way, and it reminded me a lot of um, what is it, Amos three, or in the New Te Old Testament where it says, uh, "Look not upon his countenance, for I have rejected him, for the the man seeth with what the outward appearance, but I, the Lord, look on the heart," which is kind of just saying. I measured you guys based on your intentions in your heart, not on the outward appearance. Oh. Right. I think there's some interesting parallels here with, um, with Jonah as well in the Old Testament because he was another person who was called to go and preach to a city who got there and was immediately rejected and decided to bail. And... The, instead of the Lord saying, okay, you're not willing, you're not committed to do this, I'm going to cut you off, and I'm going to give this responsibility to someone else. You, you see that a lot in like maybe the business world or something, where someone gets an assignment, they don't do that well, or they fail, and it's like, you know what, we need somebody else to get in here and do this. And the Lord doesn't immediately do that. In this case, he knows the hearts of his prophets, too, and he knows that the challenges that they're facing. And he's like, okay, you know what? You need to go back. I, I am, I'm going to give you another chance at this. 
And in the case of Alma, he provides him with a mission companion. You know, he gives him someone to work with. And he doesn't go and say, I'm going to find you the most attractive, handsome, charismatic, and impactful guy in the city to be your mission companion. He finds Amulek, who, by all means, uh, is kind of a mediocre member of the church. You know, he's not really all that valiant in his testimony. He's a wealthy guy, an influential guy, but not really that religious, maybe. Um, and that's, you know, self ad- he He even admits that himself, saying, I didn't really follow everything in the way I should. I wasn't valiant in my testimony. And yet the Lord is also giving him another chance too. And that's the other side of this is that this is a guy that is a member, maybe not super active or super uh, proactive in the gospel, just kind of treading water and has benefited a lot from maybe his businesses and stuff like that, whatever it may be that got him rich. But now he's got this this opportunity from the Lord. You're either going to become an example for people and become a, a, a tool in the hands of the Lord, or you're just going to continue on being mediocre. And uh, he takes advantage of that opportunity to become a really useful person for Alma and for the Lord and even for himself. I think there's things that he's able to do with his own people that Alma would not have been able to do alone. Well, one of the first counter-arguments they throw at Alma was, um, if this is so important, why did God only send one person to tell us about this? Yeah. You know? And right away, I'm like, hey, hey, people. (laughs) You know, I'm right here. And I I find it really interesting in chapter 8, verse 18, that once Alma received the message from the angel, he returned speedily to the land of Ammonihah, and he entered the city by another way. That entered the city by another way kind of stuck out to me because it kind of said he still used his own thinking and strategy on how to carry out what the Lord told him to do. And that's the, the interesting thing. When Alma first starts, he goes to another city. I think it was uh, Melek, the land of Melek, where he has lots of success. He has a lot of success. And then he gets to Ammonihah and he does not have any success. And then he's about to say, you know what, uh, maybe I should go somewhere else. And the Lord says, no, you need to try again. And he uses his own See, and, and that's what I find interesting is the Lord gives us principles and guidelines, but he doesn't spell everything out because he's still expecting us to use our agency and our knowledge. And then a- after he tarries with Amulek in verse uh, 26, it says, Amulek, behold, thou hast fed me, taken care of me, for I was hungered, for I fasted many days. 27, and Alma tarried many days with Amulek before he began to preach unto the people. And I kind of get a sense that they were probably building each other up. They were probably strengthening themselves and saying, and and which is, which is fine. And, 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 you know, we only get one verse of that, but maybe there could have been chapters and chapters written on 
how they what they talked about, what how they improved themselves. And we see that in our lives. Sometimes we are deterred or we something doesn't go as planned. Uh, maybe it's school, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's work. Maybe it's just a project we're trying to do. And sometimes we have to come back, retreat a little bit, get stronger, gain new skills, and then go tackle it again. You know, yeah. the Lord doesn't didn't automatically fix it. They had to go restructure things and then go try again. And and that was part of the learning. And Alma's still learning. Amulek is still learning. And and that's something I think we should consider when things don't go our way. Sometimes we have to, you know, pull back, gain new skills, strengthen ourselves, and then go tackle it again with help this time. Definitely. And I think it's really interesting that when the angel came and told him to go back to the city, basically starts to rebuild him, saying, you know what, you're blessed art thou, you know, for uh, lift up thy head and rejoice and stuff like that. And then he says, you're, you're supposed to go back to Ammonihah. But he never tells him. There's going to be a guy, his name's Amulek, really great guy, and he makes really good food and he's going to take care of you. You know, he, <laughs> he never tells him to even look for anyone. He just tells him you need to go back and you need to try again. And so he gets in and he kind of goes up in verse 19. As he entered the city, he was unhungered and he said to a man, will you give to a humble servant of God something to eat? I'm sure that he was prompted by the spirit to do that. I'm sure he was prompted by the spirit to ask Emulek and not somebody else. But he still had to go and do that. And that he was just kicked out of the city. And there's a lot of people who don't like him. And so to go in there and be like, hey, uh, to some stranger, do you want to give me something to eat? That's an act of faith that he, even he as a prophet, had to make. And it just so happened, you know, that it was Amulek. And he was like, also not told, hey, there's a guy named Alma. He's going to come. He's This is what he's wearing. He's wearing a blue shirt, you know. <laughs> um, he was just told, hey, you need to take care of someone who's going to come. And when he was able to recognize, hey, this is the guy the angel was talking about. And I think that there's opportunities like that around us all the time. If we are trying to do what's right and we need help, we need to be in tune with the Spirit to be able to find out who's, who's the kind of people who can, who can help us carry that load. If you have a calling that's being particularly challenging, who are the counselors? You know, That was one of the biggest things. Whenever I've had a calling that required counselors, it's like I know what my deficiencies are. And I know where I'm weak. And so whenever I would pray and ask for guidance on who to call, it's like, can you please help me find people that, that complement my weaknesses with their strengths? And it may not be the first person you think of or the most active or the most uh, The one you get person. along with the best. Yeah. It might be someone that you are like, what, that guy? You know, <laughs> I don't know. But you have to think about it as, the Lord will find that that person that will meet the needs of the calling the best. And I think that's this is a perfect example of that. Because you have well, a guy who is involved and it knows what he's doing, but he needs somebody who's an insider, you know? Well, it's it's um 
it's important for us to remember that Alma is is a problem. He's righteous, right? And yeah. that doesn't exempt him from difficulties, from being persecuted. And we'll see later on how it's it gets a little worse before he gets a lot better. And it doesn't mean it's easy. Sometimes the Lord's way is, you know, it's it's not temporally easy at times. Um, you know, th that reminded me of the scripture in Doctrine and Covenants section 58 verse 26 and 27 and 28 which says for behold it is not me that i should command in all things for he that is compelled in all things the same is a slothful and not a wise servant wherefore he receiveth no reward verily i say men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. For the power is in them, wherein they are agents unto themselves, and inasmuch as men do good, they will in no wise lose their reward. And that's the lesson we all need to learn. You know, we're, we're given a commandment. You know, there are times when the Lord will say, okay, here's A, here's B, here's C, and D, all the way to Z, right? And then there's times when he says, go be, go minister, you know, mm. uh, go to Ammonihah and teach those people, you know, by the way, the first time it's not going to go well. It's, it's Nephi getting the plates all over again, right? Yep. You know, we've seen this before and the lesson to us is, you know, we should not get discouraged when it's difficult. We shouldn't get discouraged when we face opposition or fail. We need to regroup, we need to learn, we need to be persistent, and we need to not assume that God does not care about our calling or our mission or the righteous intents of our hearts, because if he did, he would have made it all simple and fall into place. No, we have to use our own thoughts in, in our own skills, and we need to grow, and we need to try again and persevere, and then the reward comes. Yeah, I think the Lord values active problem-solving, critical thinking, and then obedience over just blind obedience. There are some things that he's just like, look, you may not know the reason why I'm asking you to do this, but you just need to do it. And that's okay. But a lot of it is also... I need you to, here's your, your task. You have an elders quorum or a relief society or you have a young men's group that is, there's a lot of people in it, but not many active. And now it's your calling to figure that out. And he's not going to spell it out for you. You know, this is how to get everybody to come back or this is how to get that brother to come back. He just says, here's the task. I'm going to support you with the spirit. I'll give you people in your path that can help you. But he values you saying, okay, I'm going to sit down and figure this out. I'm going to counsel together with my counselors, with the bishopric, with whoever it may be, and we're going to try and figure out what's the best way to do this calling. And he values that much more than just being like, okay, show me the way and I'll do it. Okay, <laughs> you know, I'll show you the way, but you, you, I, I want you to think this through. You're going to grow so much more if you force yourself to think things through than 
if you just say, I'm just sitting here waiting, and I'm willing and waiting. All right, that's good, but you need to be active, actively engaged, anxiously engaged even. The next section is that God judges his children according to the light and knowledge they have. Um, this is really cool, too, because it seemed like the people in Ammonihah weren't ignorant to the gospel, necessarily. They probably knew the basics. Well, well it mentions that they were once a gospel-living and highly favored people. Right. And I, I, I find it interesting that twice they say who, you know, in, in verse 2 in chapter 9, suppose ye that we believe the testimony of one man, and then in, in 6, who is God that sendeth no more authority than one man among this people? And it, you know, it kind of explains a little bit later on about these lawyers and mm -hmm. the method, you know, kind of their currency, the way they would pay each other. And to kind of highlight that they they do a lot of what they do to support themselves. They use flattery of words. They they settle arguments between people, and whoever can settle these arguments more than another is the more successful lawyer type. And so they already had this mentality of thinking that, you know, we can we can we can outthink gospel problems. You know? Yeah. And that's how they attacked with Alma. They attacked them with questions to doctrine. First of all, things that they probably were uncomfortable with, that they probably didn't know, or that they kind of came to a conclusion of what it means. And then they also did it sneakily by using certain words to trip him up. It's mm -hmm. almost very much like they were getting caught up in, in the vernacular of things. Uh, oh, did you say that? God would come down or that he did come down, you know, you know, you know, and they, they just, and it's yeah. very, and, and uh, Alma right away, he says, why are you liars in your heart? You know? <laughs> yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't really even answer them directly the first time. Um, it's kind of, I think it was Amulek that's like, basically says, I see what you're doing here. I know what you're trying to do and I'm not going to fall for that. And, it's interesting because because they they were once a righteous and, and God-fearing people, the, the scriptures here point out that their disobedience and their rebellion against the gospel puts them in a worse situation than the Lamanites who were sinning out of ignorance. They had been the Lamanites had been separated from the gospel for so long that a lot of their sins were just because they didn't know any better. Yeah. They didn't know that that was not okay to do. And he's like, these people in Ammonihah, they knew better, and yet were still not being obedient. And so their their situation in the eyes of God is far worse than the, even the Lamanites. Well, that, that what you just shared right there is exactly we are living that right now in our day. We have people who view in my opinion, they view others doing bad things, having bad behavior, and excuse their own sins and bad behavior because, oh, it's at least not as bad as theirs. Right. You know? And what the prophet is saying is, in the end, in the end, 
it's going to be more merciful for them because they're doing it because they're ignorant <laughs> and they never had the correct chance or they didn't grow up in the right neighborhoods. They weren't given the opportunities you were given. And instead, you choose to lift up in pride to pursue this economy of words and economy of winning over each other and one-upping each other socially, let's say. At the, at, in, and it's funny because all of, none of these arguments, did they come to them in private and say, you know, I'd really like to know what, what it meant by is God the eternal father? What do you say about that? It wasn't they were actually trying to know. They had to do it in an audience, mm -hmm. you know, and it's the equivalent of arguments today. They have to be in comment sections in Facebook. It's a, they're saying something and then instead of genuinely coming in and saying, hey, I'd like to know more about this. Tell me about um, what, is it, what does it mean that God is the eternal father and genuinely wanting to know. It's a way of almost baiting them and saying, tell us, you know, oh, what's he going to answer? Because... We've got the we've got the sp the springing is loaded the trap is loaded, and as soon as they trip up, all oh, we're going to discredit them, and that's not how the Lord works. Um, the Lord works in a way that's a lot simpler than that, a lot more direct than that. I think um, He's not that interested in in your cunning, you know. He's more interested in your your honesty. I like I like um, very much how in chapter nine, towards verse twenty, he starts saying, kind of reminding them that of of all the great things God has done in twenty two, having been delivered of God in the land of Jerusalem, having had the hand of the Lord, saved from famine and from sickness, da 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 da, and then in verse twenty three, he kind of hits them with a little bit of, you know, in and even though I say unto you that if this people who have received so many blessings from the hand of the Lord should transgress contrary to the light and the knowledge which they have, I say unto you that if this be the case, that if they should fall into transgression, it would be far more tolerable for the Lamanites than them. And then he continues, and then in 26, he kind of just gets to the meat of it, saying... And not many days hence the Son of God shall come in his glory, and his glory shall be the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, equity, and truth, full of patience and mercy and long-suffering, quick to hear the cries of his people and to answer their prayers. And behold, he cometh to redeem those who will be baptized unto repentance through faith in his name. And so he's kind of, he, he kind of explains you know, you guys are not doing the right things. You should remember how good the Lord has been unto you. You should remember what the Lord is going to do to everyone uh, and keep his promises. Even to the Lamanites who right now you despise and you think they're ignorant. He's mindful of them too. But it's far worse for you to continue to do bad things be, and excuse yourself because you're at least not as bad as them. And then he gets to, and the Savior's going to come. And he's going to redeem those who, who are baptized and repent. And then they, here's what you can do about it. 28, therefore prepare ye the way of the Lord. For the time is at hand that all men shall reap a reward of their works according to that which hath been. And if they have been righteous, they shall reap salvation to the souls. 
according to the power and deliverance of Jesus Christ. And if they had been evil, shall reap the damnation of their souls, according to the power and captivity of the devil. Now behold, this is a voice of the angel crying unto the people. Now behold, my brethren, for ye are my brethren, and ye ought to be beloved, and ye ought to bring forth works which are meet unto repentance, seeing that for your hearts have been grossly hardened against the word of the Lord, and seeing that ye are lost and fallen people. He's kind of really supplicating to them. You need to soften your hearts. You, you've you hardened your hearts in yourself, and you need to repent, and not just say you repented, but bring forth fruits. It's never like, that's why I love the Book of Mormon prophets so much in there, because there's so much plainness in the way they, they approach things, and it's such a good record as far as how they speak to people, because they don't just go and condemn somebody, and then just walk away. <laughs> no, they go and they explain to them. And there's always like this pattern of remember what you've been through or yeah. your forefathers have been through. Remember the promises you've made. Remember your chosen people if you choose to keep the commandments of God. And then even now you're not lost. Turn away, not turn away, but turn towards the Lord. Turn your hearts, turn away from sin, you know, and then come back and there's many examples where it does work, and then there's many where it doesn't. But Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that once they start asking questions and they start getting into explaining doctrine, the first things they're talking about are the plan of salvation or the plan of redemption. And that that's the next section, but it's he's talking about some of the details of it. And it says in here, um, in the lesson for during the manual for Sunday school that he Alma taught that after the fall, God gave Adam and Eve commandments, but only after teaching them his plan. And so he's even talking about first, we have to understand the plan, you know, from beginning to end, how it works, how it flows. And then he's going to go back and fill it in with other commandments, like keep the Sabbath day, holy follow the law of chastity. Because all of those little commandments that fill in the gaps, they all help us to be able to follow the greater plan that God has. And that's why well, they exist. And, and it really gets to the core of your own identity and reason for being here. Your own reason for existing. And which is a question everyone asks themselves. Right. You know, why are you here? Well, you are here because God put us here, and it began with Adam and Eve. And the whole reason for that was to try us to see if we're willing to do what's right, if we're willing to. But in order to do that, you had to have opposition in all things. You had to have a choice, an option A and an option B. And in order to do that, you would have to understand that option B came at a very costly, you know, it comes at pain and people abusing power, people treating each other unjustly, and all of those things that hurt you, whether by your own decisions or by the decision of others, God knew was going to happen. And he didn't leave us comfortless. He sent his son, his son who can fix our own bad decisions through repentance and will fix the decisions of others in time, you know, that hurt us. And, and, and the atonement encompasses all of that. It encompasses our own self-injuries and experimentations we do here. <laughs> and 
the bad decisions of others and the ignorance of others by making decisions and, and, and you know, and up to nations in the whole world is, is covered through the atonement. I just, I don't know. I think about, a lot about that throughout all the things that we go through in life. You know, we, we can get carried away with, well, you know, the, the Cuba missile crisis was robbed because of this and that. And that. But it's like when you get down to it, it, all of these things are parents who didn't raise their kids right, people who fought with each other, inner family problems. And the Book of Mormon is a story of a, one family who turned into these two great nations. And all the problems that came through those two great nations that affected people, that will affect us even today indirectly. And if Lehi's family, <laughs> one family could be so impactful, imagine your family. Imagine where you are at, how you came to be where you are. You know? The next section is, if we will not harden our hearts, we can receive more of the Word of God. And I think... Really, Amulek is a good example of this because I don't necessarily think that his heart was hardened, but he wasn't really involved in, in learning more about the gospel until Alma came back and in, in, came into his life. And at that point, you could tell maybe it was during that period of time that they were tarrying together, you know, that he was learning more about the gospel enough to be able to go and teach it. That Alma was reminding him of things, you know you know about this and you know about this and let's talk more about that and what questions do you have because they're going to probably ask us questions and try to trip us up so well he he had to be righteous enough to uh, receive message an angel came to him and also yeah. understand who Alma was you know, he might have just been one that was in this city and the whole culture changed over the years. And he was like, what's going on around here, guys? But yet not, but also you can tell like he was almost like stuck there, you know, kind of a man living in solitude of surrounded by all these who probably used to be his friends and his peers and his church members and his ministry companion. And they've all gone apostate, you know? Which is nice because it's like, you know, uh, maybe Alma's first conversion uh, in mission was to save Amulek, you know? And then them two together was then to help it as much of the rest of everybody else. Well, you hear countless stories of missionaries that go and serve somewhere and they find somebody who's really ready to, to hear the gospel. And it's either someone who's being reactivated into the church or a new convert, and when when that missionary leaves, they they leave behind somebody who's primed and ready to be a leader, you know, someone who the Lord has prepared to be accepting of the word of, of the gospel because they're meant to carry it to uh, their community, their friends, their family, and that's really what happens here. I think Alma, when he eventually leaves Ammonihah, he's probably like, you know what, I think I'm I'm confident that uh, Amulek and the other people that are, are converted again can carry this on without me having to be here. Uh, and I think that's 
really important that he's able to do that. Uh, there's a quote in this section from Elder Holland. And uh, it says, If you haven't already, you will one day find yourself called upon to defend your faith or perhaps even endure some personal abuse simply because you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Such moments will require both courage and courtesy on your part. You may wonder if it's worth it to take a courageous moral stand in high school or to go on a mission only to have your most cherished beliefs reviled or to strive against much in society that sometimes ridicules a life of religious devotion. Yes, it is worth it. Friends, especially my young friends, take heart. Pure Christ-like love flowing from true righteousness can change the world. Be strong, live the gospel faithfully, even if others around you don't live it at all. Defend your beliefs with courtesy and with compassion, but defend them. I think that's really important because um, I think there's a, a misconception that um, in Utah, everyone's a member of the church and you, everyone just understands it and it's all good. Or even outside that it's like, well, outside, they're more used to having, outside of Utah, they're more used to having a variety of religions. And so you being LDS maybe doesn't really bother people that much. And it might not. But at the same time, we need to be able to know enough of the doctrine, know enough of what our beliefs are, that we can explain them to others and explain them in, a, in very simple terms. The, the articles of faith are great for that, really. Um, I think they were clearer explanations back when they were originally given than they are now. Now I think there's some language and some terms and stuff like that that people are a little bit confused by in the Articles of Faith and might require some clarity or clarification uh, from us. But we need to know enough of the doctrine to be able to say, this is what I believe and why. Yeah. And that takes a little bit of scripture study and a little bit of, of prayer to, to understand it ourselves first. I've seen individuals get really upset and defensive thinking that they need to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm just sharing an opinion here that Jesus Christ does not need us to defend him. He laid his life down in the midst of people who ridicule him and said to us as his followers, Turn the other cheek. What he needs us to is to for us to believe on him and to follow him. Once we follow him, then we can declare our testimony when the time is right to people. And, it, and in that scenario, it won't be done in a way that's defensive, self-righteous, attacking. Because I, I see a lot of that. There's like this desire for people well, I have to stand up for, I have to do this, I have to. And it's like, uh, no, the most, the most powerful being in the entire universe who has ever lived and has control over all life on earth doesn't need you to go insult that person in his name. That's just you're gratifying your own pride or you feel yourself threatened by what they've said because you yourself are uncomfortable with your testimony. What he needs you to do is to live the gospel, to be a good example. And then when moved about by the Spirit, you declare a testimony, which isn't accusatory. It isn't attacking. It's just you declaring what you believe. And it, and then, you know, because I, I don't know, I, I just, 
I, I see oftentimes, I, I think I saw that within myself, like as a missionary, you know, as a new missionary, I felt like I had to Bible bash everybody. I had to, but if you read the scripture, it tells you that you're the one going to hell, not me, you know? And, you know, and, and it's like, it's like, who am I doing that for? Am I doing that for the sake or am I doing that for myself to make myself feel better, you know? And, and if I truly follow the Savior, he is one who didn't need the accolades of the world to know what his mission was and how important he is. And likewise, we should be satisfied with the peace that comes through living the gospel to know that he approves of our behavior and he understands where our heart is. We don't have to go, you know, have knife fights with everyone over the Internet, especially every time we think we're we're defending truth. And it's like that's also not the right way. Be, there's two extremes, you know, being super passive and just oh, whatever, you know, and no one ever knows how you feel about things or standing up for any, or being overly aggressive where we feel we are justified in tearing everybody else down and seeing everybody else as a combatant instead of, you know, we may all end up there together, like the parable of the laborers. We may all, we just get there at the different times. Yeah, I think it, it, it's clear that um, the advice is not to go on the attack for the gospel. It's not saying uh, go and, and humble or humiliate people with your knowledge of the gospel or with your knowledge of God's plan. <laughs> that is not what the Lord did. Think about what Christ did. When asked questions, he didn't make people feel stupid or whatever, even the Pharisees. like He just asked them questions back. He taught the gospel in a, in a humble way. Oftentimes it was might have been seemed a little bit direct and a little bit impactful to them, but the intent was not to humiliate, right? It was meant to uplift them and, and instruct them. No, that's not how this works. It works like this. And like you're saying, yeah, I totally agree that the, the Lord doesn't need us to defend him. It's not like we need a militia of church members, you know, that walk around and arm in arm and, and confront people about the gospel. But I think what it's saying is when, when people confront you or when people come at you and say, oh, you guys believe this and this and that. Because in my, in my experience, it was usually people telling me what I believed. Oh, you guys believe in this or you guys believe in polygamy or you guys believe in, in whatever and baptizing dead people, you know. And I'm like, okay, let me explain. And in that sense, it was more, let me explain what that actually means. We don't baptize dead people. We baptize for and in behalf of people who have passed away. We don't believe in polygamy anymore. This is something that we once did and we no longer practice. But you have to know enough about it to be able to explain it. And I think that that's really what we're trying to accomplish with Come Follow Me and with a home-centered church-supported system is we need to know the doctrine better so that when people come and ask us questions, maybe not even in an accusatory way or not even trying to attack us, but just saying, oh, yeah, I know about you. You believe this. Well, I see where you're coming from. That's not really accurate. This is what we actually believe and be able to explain it. Well, I think also the, the tactics of the, 
the lawyers that they used against Ami and Amulek were trying to trip them up on very specific things, like very, and, and to be honest, what Alma and Amulek did was, no, they explained the principle, no, this is what that means, nope, this is what the atonement means, this yep. is what this means, that's what we believe. What you have actually done is harden your heart, and so you're unable to understand these things. And you're trying to get gain, or you're trying to 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 earn money, basically, uh, and, and to show off to people. And and I think it's a, important for us to differentiate that. When is it? When when is it? When is there a time when you need to just bare your soul and heart to someone about what you feel inside? And when is it a time for you to say, no, no thanks, and move yeah. on? And both of those may be the appropriate thing to do at, at different times. There's one question in the lesson that I thought was really interesting. It said, uh, in one of the bullet points of the last section, it says, why might the Lord withhold his word from those who have hardened their hearts? Uh, it, it, it seems kind of like, if people harden their hearts, then they're then they should hear more of the Lord's words. So hopefully they don't they soften their hearts, right? But for me, I the thing I thought of was there is something in the gospel that requires us to use our agency. As Christ invited us, He invites us to seek. If you thirst after righteousness, if you knock. It's kind of, it begins with you and the use and your desire and your use of your agency. And as you do that truly and unselfishly, the Lord will always answer or provide a way or provide servants or send you an amulet to help you, right? I think it's, it's, a, it's almost like a filter to, to those. It, it's also interesting because there's another scripture that... Later on, when, when people are unhappy, I think it was Moroni who, who mentions kind of the people were miserable and they were angry with God because he would not allow them to be happy in their sin, full state. He would not, you know. And, and I think, I don't know. What do you think about that question? I think it's... I don't know that it's necessarily that the Lord will withhold knowledge as much as it is until you are starting to live what you know, I can't give you more. You know, until you can be righteous, knowing, following the commandments that I've given you and living in accordance to the principles of the gospel that you have, I can't give you more light and knowledge. And once you start living that and showing me a good effort, then, then more can come. But in that sense, he's kind of withholding, right? And that, that, that's what I think it means. That it's kind of like with kids, you know, as we're raising kids, you give your, your child a responsibility and you want to see them actively doing that and learning from it and doing it well before you give them new and more heavy responsibilities. Right. And so, yeah, in a way, you're kind of withholding access, but really it's just I, you're not ready for this yet. It's funny because I, I think like if if we 
if we believe in the principle that God loves his children and wants to help them grow and progress, then agency and the misuse of agency make total sense. But if we don't believe that we are here to grow and evolve in a way and become like him, then it's kind of in the way and we feel impatient. Why can't he just fix this problem for us? Why does bad things happen? You know, and in the, although, trust me, those feelings are legit, bad things are horrible that they happen and pain is uncomfortable. And, and there are very many bad things that happen. Some, some we can kind of deal with and some that are just detrimental and are inimaginable or we can't imagine how we can ever be whole again, right? And that's part of it is faith. And, and that's part like where we have to know what we know and also know what we believe. And believe in knowledge. Believe can lead to knowledge. But there are some things that I just believe. I don't know. And then there are some things that I know. And I know. And and it's a lot like when Nephi, when, when he's wanting to see the vision of his father and understand the meaning of the tree of life. And the spirit asks him, do you know why God is doing all of this? And he says, No. I really don't, but I know he loves his children. I know he's a loving father. Okay, let me explain to you why. Behold, uh, uh, a virgin, and, and she gives birth and, and Christ, and he sees the ministry and has to go through a little bit of the plan of salvation to understand. For him to know, why is God doing all of this? What is the meaning of all of this? And there are times in our lives where we may just be like, I don't know. And and people can get caught up in these tiny, well, not tiny, but in these very specific arguments that people have, like these lawyers have. Well, does the bread transmute in your stomach into actual flesh or does this and that? And, and people get and over simple things. That whole religions have sprouted and whole revolutions have happened because, well, we interpret this passage, this phrase of scripture right here to actually mean that the Garden of Eden is over there. And the way you interpret it, you're saying is over there. And the Book of Mormon, Zerhemla is over there. Or no, it's over there. And, and you get caught up in these little things and it's like, yeah, but do you know what the plan of salvation is? And how are you using that? And then some of those things, you just have to believe that there was a Garden of Eden. You don't necessarily need to know where it is. But you do need to know where your heart is and where you're keeping your commandments and where your family is and the things that are pertinent to your time here on earth. You know, these lawyers, they're not very different from us. As we, as we read the lesson, we think they're their opposition, their other people, they're all in these situations, but they could very much represent some of the arguments we have inside of us. Yeah, I think one of the, the questions that really resounded with me in this lesson was, what can you do to ensure that God's word is found in you? If you had God's word in you, 
what effect would it have on your words, works, and thoughts? And I think that in order to defend the gospel, in order to um, be able to represent the gospel in any way, in order to receive greater light and knowledge, in order to help others around us to understand it better, we have to have it in us. We have to know what the gospel is. We have to know what the scriptures say and what the words of our Heavenly Father are for us while, while we're in this probationary state. How will it affect your words, works, and thoughts? Well, what, what goes in comes out. And I think that that's... Another way to say that is, uh, by your works you shall know them, or their, you know, what fruits they have reflect what, what they're about. What you say, what you do, what you think will be greatly affected by what you're putting into your mind, what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're consuming. And if you're consuming the Word of God, if you're reading the Scriptures, if you're reading um, or listening to General Conference, things like that, that's what's going to come to your mind when you have trials. That's what's going to come to your mind when you have questions. Um, it will only lead you to receiving greater revelation. And so when we think about what are we doing to become better people or what are we doing to become um, more able to understand the doctrine, well, if you're not putting it in, then it won't, it won't be there for you to recall in the end when you need it most. Zizerm's kind of an interesting guy. And we don't really see the end of that interaction in these chapters. That's not till till the next lesson, but uh, spoiler alert, it he makes a big change in his life. Um, but it's really interesting because they kind of like say, okay, we've got these guys up here making some claims. Let's put this lawyer up there and see if he can, he's our best, you know? See if he can just, he's going to go up there and talk circles around him. And he tries to, and I think he's immediately called out. I see what you're trying to do. Yeah, he, uh, Amulet calls him something pretty harsh. I can't remember what exactly he says. So it's in Alma eleven twenty three, and now Amulek said, O thou child of hell, why tempt ye me? Knowest thou the righteous yieldeth to no such temptations? And he goes on from there, but he's basically, <laughs> he basically calls him out and he's like, look, I'm not going to be tricked by your money. I'm not going to be tricked by your language. Stop it. You know? And then from there, it almost becomes a level playing field where he's still trying to convince him of stuff and, and, and say stuff to trip them up. But, um, you can tell it's more of like a back and forth instead of just tell you what, here's six, what was it? Shiblums or something of silver to just shut up and go away. And there were probably people in that crowd. I, if you look at the, the reason why they spell out the Nephite currency system is to show you how much that, how much money that is. And it's yeah. not a small amount. Like it's a decent amount of money. And I'm sure there are people in the crowd like, dude, take it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was also like maybe the way, maybe them knowing that, they, what they were doing, they they were maybe they were thinking Alma and Amulek are trying to move into our turf. Like they maybe they were thinking that their motivation was monetary. That at the end of the day, this was all going to get back to money because 
that's how they used the gospel themselves. It was just, yeah. and so they couldn't, like he couldn't fathom, why wouldn't you just take this? Well, and in verse 24, Believest thou there is no God? I say unto you, Nay, thou knowest there is a God, but thou lovest that lucre more than him. Basically saying, you don't want to talk about God, and so you're trying to silence me with money, but you, it's time to come to terms with the fact that he exists, and we're going to talk about this. You know, <laughs> kind of, I, I thought that was really kind of cool that he just basically says, now listen, I'm not, I'm not even going to get involved in profit here. It's not a profit for profit. So that scripture I had was in Doctrine and Covenants section 84. And it starts on 84 and 85. And it says, Therefore let tomorrow take thought for the things of itself. Neither take ye thought beforehand what ye should say, but treasure up in your minds continuously the words of life, and it shall be given you in the very hour the portion that shall be needed unto every man. And that just reminded me when you were talking about you want to understand the gospel, you want to know these mysteries, you want to, do, then you have to learn the gospel. You have to learn it. And I always use this on my mission for myself. Like, the more I studied, the more I would have what was needed for me to teach or to right. share with someone. And, and I know that that principle is true. And even now, there are things that, um, most of this I have found true just for myself. When I think about questions and things, I'm reminded of a scripture or a parable, and then it kind of helps bring an answer and makes, helps things make sense. Yeah, I think that also as much as studying and, and reading can give you the tools you need, that you also need to have experiences and and practice talking about it because you can go and study and, and hole up in your room and really learn all the intricate details of the gospel. But number one, you have to live it and put it in practice. And then number two, you have to gain experience talking about it with other people. Even if it's other people who agree with you and believe in it, um, mm -hmm. talking about it with others and, and saying, Hey, have you read this scripture? What does that mean to you? You gain greater insight and you gain, gain greater understanding. So that when you come across someone who's like, I don't, I don't know anything about your church or your about the gospel. Tell me what this is about. Um, you're not going, oh, uh, well, let me start with letter Z. You know that you're able to walk it through and explain it in simple terms, like you would to a child, the way the Lord does with us. I think that's part so, of the, the thing is study and then also practice. So when you're talking about that, I thought of the scripture in Matthew 16, 25, where it says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And the way that I thought of that was, I was thinking, there you cannot truly, truly live the gospel in a vacuum. And in a, you cannot do it in a sterile lab free from contamination and, and ex isolated and excluding all other people that are like you, you know, you, you, it doesn't work that way. The one, the, the, our, our savior, our Lord, our, 
the individual we choose to be disciples to gave his life so he could save everyone. And I often, like how you mentioned, sometimes people think, well, if I keep, if I read my scripture, I do my things and I just stay in isolation and keep all those germs and people away from me. Yeah, but you're not, you're missing the point. The point is once once you have, it's almost like Enos, you know, his progression where once he worked out his salvation, then it turned to his family and his nation. Once yeah. he worked that out, then it turns to his enemies. And, and that's, you know, when the Lord says, if you have all gifts but not charity, which is the pure love of Christ, the ability for you to love others and want their well-being and see their potential and hate the sin but not the sinner, and be out there trying to do the Father's work, which is the Savior's work, which is your what you do when you take His name upon you. There, I mean, there is no way to, to get around that, that you take His name upon you, meaning you are to act as He would act. And then furthermore, if you then accept the oath and covenant of the priesthood on top of that, you really cannot hide without just being with. You cannot hide behind being passive or being an isolationist. And and then you know I thought of the scripture words: "Whoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it." You know. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, "If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow, and in time you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.